Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast. Andrea Earhart here, muralist, adventurer, and your host as I interview inspiring artists who are killing it in the art game to show you that it's completely possible to make a great living doing the thing you love to do. We highlight the business side of art to help you reach more customers, increase profits, and ultimately live a life of creative freedom. (laughs) Enjoy the show. This week's episode features illustrator and cartoonist Ryan McCullough. Ryan is the VP of Art and Design at Mutasia, which is a series of award-winning books, music, animation, and stuffed animals about an island where everyone is a mix of two or more different animals. (laughs) This is so fun. Example, Pugapillar. Pug and caterpillar. How fun is that? Ryan is so fun, creative, and willing to share all of his knowledge about cartoon making and what it's like working with a team. Imagine having a handful of different creative minds working on the same project, which is Mutasia, which is what Ryan does for a living. Sure, there's bound to be some creative friction with different ideas, but imagine the amazing results you can get by combining those minds together. This is what Ryan does for a living. He's a cartoonist. This is just so fun. (laughs) Anyway, he goes into depth about creating cartoons with the plot lines, the facial features, body languages, and everything that you can say with art that doesn't even need to be said with words. (laughs) He explains all of this in today's interview, but this is a very different type of conversation than our typical business style, but I hope you find it as interesting as I did. So let me know what you think about this week's episode with Brian McCullough. If you could start off by just kind of explaining a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got into the arts. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Ryan McCullough, and I have really gone through a lot of things over the years. I started in clay animation, and I sold my first animated films to HBO when I was 14 years old. And throughout high school, I was making, I made films for a partnership for Drug Free America, HBO, HBO Family, local commercials, did a lot of film festivals, and I went to college studied fine art and illustration with the goal of work getting into character design and animation. But I I met a friend in acting class. I was focusing on animation and illustration. She was focusing on filmmaking and, and acting. And when she graduated, her name is Suzanne. And when she graduated, she started up a production company in Florida and said, hey, do you want to come and we're making content for the web? Do you want to do animation for us and make web videos, webisodes, commercials, things like that? So I was like, yes. So second I graduated, flew out to Florida. A year later was the big 2008 crash. So it was really hard for larger companies that were not established yet, if they were still in that earlier phase to survive. And so uh, a small kind of core team of us who had been working on a small little thing for kids, a little brand idea. We decided to just go full-time on that. Suzanne Katsakis and I and our boss, Tommy, we just went full speed ahead into children's books. And we did a series of children's books called 
Mutasia, it's about an island where all the animals are mixed up, different kind of animals. So I can, uh, I'll show you here. We've got a uh, Billy Twinklecorn here, who's a penguin leopard narwhal. Oh my God. And I love it. we have a Carl the Pugapillar. He's a pug caterpillar. And <laughs> Chadwick is cheetah elephant frog. And uh, yes, we got a series of books that I got to illustrate and co-write with Suzanne Katsakis. And got to we got to jump into animation with Mutasia and music. And it just has been a blast. And I've been working on Mutasia pretty much full time since 2009. And we have a fourth book that we're working on. We have a new album that we're working on. So we had a lot of exciting stuff. And kind of I've, I'd had this bug for a while because I'd been that I wanted to kind of do art for art's sake kind of stuff. Like, what other kind of art can I do? And my wife kept bugging me, you should get back into painting and do stuff like that. But we just had kids and they weren't good sleepers. And it was just like really hard to finish up work at five and then say, now I'm going to get go back in the office into the studio and do more art. And then about two years ago, started like the kids were old enough now. I could start playing around with some stuff on the side and painting. And I, I one of the things that really got me into being able to paint again was getting onto Twitch I didn't want to be alone in the office. I'd been alone all day and then I'm going to go back. So I'd have people talk with me while I was painting and it was really fun. I spent a whole year doing that. And that kind of helped me to be consistent, to make sure like between three and four days a week, I was I was working on something. And yeah, then I fell into stickers. I've been making stickers for a while and that's been a, a fun outlet for my art. And more recently in the last couple of years, started teaching. So I, I teach uh, kids how to draw cartoon characters with a focus on cartoons and storytelling. And that was just kind of a little side thing. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, everybody was, because I, I was teaching in person, but then all of a sudden, because of the time I'd spent on Twitch, I was like set up digitally to do art digitally. So I fell straight into teaching online. And now I have kids from multiple states, multiple countries. And as soon as mid 2020 happened, that just exploded. So uh, a lot of, a lot of things going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a lot. That's so fun. Uh, so, <laughs> Somebody just commented that I vote you come back to Twitch. What is Twitch exactly? So Twitch is an online live streaming, kind of like what we're doing now. And there's like a, a chat board. So it's really popular for, it's basically a video gamer site. And so they'll play video games. They can have a, multiple cameras. So you can have show the game, show the player, and then there's chat. So they get to talk and interact. And then it's really expanded over the years. And a lot of artists have taken on there so they can have their cameras set up and show the process that they're working on. And people who are interested in art or just want to have company, maybe it's midnight in their time zone, they can't sleep. So let's watch someone paint and talk and so it's really, it's similar to what we're doing. It's very similar, but it's a little bit of a bigger kind of a setup. But I was, I would just paint paintings three nights a week after the kids went to bed and really got to bring that back because I'd been working, I was traditionally trained with painting. But once you start working, a lot of times in the industry that I was in, it, you work digitally because it makes sense because you can make a lot of quick fixes based on notes. You can send things back and forth. So I ended up falling into digital for 10 years and I really wanted to pick up a paintbrush again and get, uh, I do gouache and watercolor. And, and so that was like just a great outlet for me to do that and to force me back in. Cause you can always find a reason not to do it. Okay. Well, I'm tired. I have a little headache. This show's on blah, blah, blah. But to be like, I told people 
three nights a week, I'd be on. So I was, and it really got all that moving. That's so true. Yeah, the just social accountability of that, it really, really helps. Like you are in, in the middle of a 100 day challenge right now. And just really saying to, to people, hey, I'm going to create every day for 30 days for or for 30 minutes for 100 days. Just knowing that other people are going to expect that day, it just it makes you show up. So <laughs> any kind I was of- super inspired by your 30 day challenge <laughs> of your paint, a painting a day. I loved it. I was telling my wife, I was like, I got to do that. <laughs> yeah. Jump on it's that. a lot. It's great. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's great. Yeah. So yeah. I have a question. So you have mm-hmm. really, really interesting characters. How many, like, how many characters do you sketch out that maybe don't make it to the final? Like, how many Tons. things are you throwing together to make those, what is it, beetle pug or cat, caterpillar? Uh, the pug a pillar. Pug a pillar. Yeah, it's funny. It's some of them are like the pug pillar i literally it's like if it's not if i don't have a reason but i'm just like out for a walk and i think oh pug mixed with a caterpillar and i draw it sometimes you just like there it is perfect it's done maybe you massage it, it the pug pillar went through some massaging but other characters go through a lot of trial and error throwing things out whether it just doesn't work or maybe i love it and i bring it to my team and they're like uh-uh, we're not dealing this character and so you go back to the drawing board and Sometimes you throw out a character and five years later, you're like, oh, remember that guy? Let's have him at least standing in the background over there. But yes, it's a lot of, because on Mutasia, where we're mixing all the animals up, you want each thing to be recognizable, right? So you want someone to pretty much be able to say that is a beaver and a bumblebee and a rhinoceros, like all those together. So you don't want to always, you don't want to just mix them in a way that isn't recognizable. And so sometimes finding that balance, it's hard. It's hard, but uh, I, I love that part. Yeah, I you love have just, the best job. <laughs> it's awesome. It's one thing if in my head I'm thinking like, all right, I think this could mix with this well and this. But sometimes to have someone push you in a hard way to say, these are what I want, and I think they're impossible to mix. Please mix them. And so you get a lot of you get a lot of, of interesting things out of that dynamic because they shouldn't go together. A lot of times our brains try to make it easy. Right? Who, who goes together the easiest? So we have a lot of different ways. And sometimes we just write a story and we're like, this character has this feature and it works for what's happening in the action. And so I don't have a choice. I got to figure that out. There's really a lot of different ways we come up with those. Or sometimes we just have a name. This is a funny name. So make it work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really interested in the idea that you have a team with you to do this and help decide because a lot of our listeners are solo artists. They're just mm-hmm. kind of paint alone in their studio. And like you mentioned, it can get, get kind of lonely. How do you like working with a team? And how do you think that is benefiting you with? Just... I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I miss when we first started out, we were all living in Florida. And so we were all working together every day, like in the same room. And a lot of things changed after 2008, and that was really the beginning of kind of the, all right, we, people can be where they need to be. <clears throat> we can work remotely, satellite, and I moved back out to California, uh, Northern California, because this is where my family is, and uh, Suzanne moved back down to Southern California because she could be near the film scene down there, and our boss Tommy stayed in Florida. And so over the last, most of the years, we've been pretty far apart. But we get together a few times a year. And I love the energy of working with each other. I think, to me, what drew me to a lot of like film and, and animation and stuff was like the team aspect. And it's frustrating when you don't see eye to eye. But, you know, there's a lot of times I want to do A and Suzanne wants to do B. And 
we're not going to budge. And so we come up with C and sometimes C is better. And that's exciting. That pushes you. You need some friction and you need the encouragement that we can give each other. And you need to say, I'm stuck on this and I'm not alone. I can bring it to her and she can have new eyes and can say, well, how about this? How about that? Or things like that. So we can, teams are great for holding each other accountable, like encouraging each other, um, pushing each other out of our comfort zone. A lot of times I just, it's like, all right, this, I, I know this is easy. I like this. I like this. And Suzanne will just be like, no, like this is too easy or not or whatever. Or it's what we've done. Let's do something that's, let's push ourselves out there. And you need that. You need that. I wish we had more face-to-face time and going an entire year now with the pandemic, we've had zero face-to-face time. That's hard. That's very hard. I like being with people and I work with good people. And yeah, you find people that are good and then you just, you don't, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like family. It feels like it's just hanging out with friends, but you're making something, right? Yeah, for sure. It's just good to have another brain on, on something. Mm-hmm. Because I know for me, especially, like I'll, I'll edit a video together or I'll do a painting and in my head it makes sense. But I always have to ask my husband, I'm like, does this make sense to you not knowing really anything? But, and he'll be like, oh yeah, or oh no. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't imagine having like a team of creatives on your team like that. It'd be just to be like, just to change the colors and all of that, man. <laughs> yeah, and we all have our own fortes and strengths. I think if we were all illustrators or something, then there might be, you could maybe have too much friction if everybody is the same, but it's really good to find people you can collaborate that bring something you can't bring. And that's where you grow. Then it's not competition, right? You're different pieces to the same puzzle. Yeah, for sure. Because I, yeah, I've worked with artists in the past too, and some it's friction, but it can be really good friction. So it's just learning how to work together. Mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, just different strengths. How is the like the illustration process? Um, so you stick to mostly animation, right? Do you know the storyline before you make the character, or? Uh, yeah. So I'll say uh, most of what we're doing, I would say, is illustration as opposed to animation. So animation will be if they're moving, and so where. Currently, I'm not doing any animation at the moment. So it's all like illustration. So it's drawn and stuff like that. And our process is when we're doing a book is that we we write an outline. So we have beat by beat. Here's in one page what the whole story would be. And once we feel that it has good rhythm, then we break it down page by page. And we basically write a really rough version of the book. So it's just like, he went and did this and she was mad and it was just, it's just, you know, awful. And then, but the idea is that then I do the illustrations and we plan out the illustrations pretty meticulously in advance. But if you, if you're writing, he saw his friend and his friend was wearing a red hat and a blue t-shirt. And then I draw the friend wearing a red hat and a blue t-shirt. Then you're like, we don't need to say that. We, we were showing it. And so there's a really interesting partnership of the words and and the illustrations and you want them to just work together and not be redundant and so we found that if we wrote too preciously at the beginning it was really hard to make the edits afterwards so we do our rough writing we illustrate it and now we've got our spots for the text and now we write it in the fun way we how can we say this in a fun way how do we work with the illustrations that we've seen what do we not have to say what do we realize that we do need to say oh you can't really 
see that emotion well enough in the picture. So we need to up it with the words. And so having that process has really led us to to do what I think is, have been some really fun books that are really strong on both levels. Wow. Okay. So you have quite a hand in the writing as of it as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We co-write together. Okay. Co-write together. Yeah. Is there like a formula for a really good story? So like you have drama, you have like, where is there a formula you work with or do you have just an idea of something and you have to be Yeah. I would about? say each of our books, I feel like they go together, but I think they, they have a little bit of a different formula each. But a lot of it is set the scene, what's what's going on, get everyone into the world, and then probably within five to six pages, like what's the problem? What's the character's problem that they're dealing with? What's their goal? And then what's the weird path to getting to our ending that has a, that all makes sense, has a really nice message. I'll just grab one here. So this is Figley's Little White Lie, which is Figley basically tells a little white lie and it just snowballs and snowballs. And each time he tells a lie, it backfires worse. So we basically have this book where we want to have a, a moral message about lying, but we don't want it to feel preachy. So we basically torture this poor character for an entire book, just humiliate him. But it's always his fault. So we could do it. We both come from a film background. So we're always very much thinking about like the establishing shot. So how, how do we like all right, we're showing the the city, and then maybe we're going, we're zooming in a little bit, and then going in. So anytime we we have a new place, we try to show that. So you know how we think about close ups and and long shots. Definitely, a lot of that stuff comes from us both being trained in film and thinking in that level. Yeah, I don't. I think that's as as much of a formula that we have. It's just what do we, what story do we want to tell? What's the best way to tell that story? Very cool. I know nothing about this whole process. So <laughs> I'm trying to think of questions to more questions to ask you to figure out more things. Is there anything that maybe that I don't know to ask and that might be interesting in your area? I know because you're in it. So I'm just trying to think of what good questions would be for maybe someone who wants to illustrate their own, like to create their own story and make their own mm-hmm. illustration. What are some tips that you might have to even start that process? Yeah, I talk a lot about this in my classes with my students because I feel like when you're designing characters, like their story is really intertwined. And so really trying to give every character that we draw a, a story, like how every little detail you add to them, even sub- subliminally can tell somebody like a story about them. And if they've got bags under their eyes, if they're they got a scar, if they're wearing something, if they're clothes are tight or not so you can tell you can create a a character through that way i mean the way we work is is that we've created a group of characters that we know them and so then we say like all right now here's a story and we can just drop them in we know how all of them will react and play out and some characters maybe don't really fit a story as much because they don't really have a place don't try to shoehorn them in like we've learned the hard way don't a character doesn't belong, they don't belong. But yeah, we try to think about maybe basing them a little bit on people we know. We've all have the like the smart person, the lazy person, the person you look up to, the wise person in our life, the fun, the party animal. And how do you, emotions, how do we show expressions? It's all about communicating, right? So how do we properly get the look in the structure of the face with the cheeks or the eyebrows to get that emotion across? So, all right, all right, so going back to your question, I really think understanding how people work 
And a lot of that's just spending time with people. The weak, Some of the weakest writers are people that aren't getting out into the world. And it's harder right now. But there are ways to do it. And I think you don't want to end up being an artist that's just kind of regurgitating versions of what you see. Like you're going out there, you're experiencing things, you're uh, meeting people, you're getting hurt, you're seeing things that are new. I just think that's where those great ideas come from, is getting out of your house. If you're doing children's books, if you're doing animation, you shouldn't be having children's books and animation be all that you consume. You need to be doing novels, documentaries, webinars on this or that. That's how you learn. But you don't need to you don't need to just focus on the one thing that is what you produce because I think if that, that's all you're consuming, you just become some other version of that. And so I really encourage all my students to get a very broad inputs, things from all over the place that are going to help build your very unique voice. We should all have a unique voice. Yeah. What do you teach your students? What do you teach exactly? So my classes are how to draw cartoon characters. And we, it's uh, their virtual classes. And we basically focus on each month as a different theme, maybe mammals, fantasy creatures, birds and reptiles, people. But each class I I have one or two, or probably one to three, really, the concepts that are the main points of it, whether it's perspective, whether it's shadow, whether it's planes, whether it's just an effect of, like, fabric moving around or things twisting. And, all right, how do we take those things and we're going to build them around a character so that it's fun? So if I want to do an item twisting around another item, like corkscrewing or wrapping, so that's going to be a day that we're going to focus on snakes and we're going to we're going to learn the this technique but we're going to we're going to build it around a character so that we have fun and we see how we can use it. We're not just going to drop uh, a spiral and then you're like what do I do with this? And now you're starting to see okay this could be a vine, this could be some kind of a clothing, a belt wrapped around, looped around on we do a day of I use giraffes and we teach perspective. So we do really forced perspective. I learn I teach kids how to make part of a character look really close and part of it look a mile away. And then I also use those days to build in every day is like a new expression. So we'll have a character who's bored or angry or excited or scared or uh, crying. So it's like on the day that we learn how to draw dogs, we're going to do a happy dog and a sad dog. We're going to we're going to learn how we, an emotion is not just the frown or the smile. We build in the eyebrows, the cheeks, the body language. Are we going to have our character up like this if they're crying or are we going to start to droop them? Is a dog's ear going to go up if they're sad or are they going to start drooping? And how do we take those concepts and add them to your cartoon character who's not a dog? So if you've got your girl character who has a ponytail, maybe when she's sad, her ponytail droops. And that doesn't happen in real life, right? Our hair does, that doesn't, that's not how it works. But we could subliminally push, push these, these emotions even further. And your audience may not notice them, but it's going to be more impactful and more dynamic. So we just do a lot of fun things like that. And kids love it. And they're able to, my hope is that I'm giving them little tools here and there. A couple are going to stick. And slowly they're going to be building up their own very unique voice, artistic voice, and their own style. And it's just really cool to see what these kids do. Oh, wow. Man, there's so many different things to know with uh, illustration that I didn't even really think about. And I love the, the idea of if somebody draws something happy, our immediate thought is a smiley face. 
But if they're like really happy or they're just like smirking, like there's just so many different mm -hmm. facial expressions. Man, and is there a lot of emphasis on eyes, I would imagine? Oh, yeah, yeah. You could basically cover up an entire face and just have the eyes tell you everything. So you could, that's, yeah, super important. Each one of those pieces on their own can, can be enough. But being happy, being sad, being angry, there's all these little micro versions of it. If we have a character crying, there's like hope, sad crying, there's the baby angry crying, you're like mad. And how do we take all these little pieces and make our very specific version that we want to? How does this help tell our story that we want to do? And it's fun playing around with all those things. A cry, you have a character crying and they've got the sad eyebrows going like this. And then just this, moving them like that, you to angry eyebrows, you have a completely new scenario. So we just, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun to explore all those different things and to know it's not particularly right or wrong what's going to work for what you want to communicate. And a lot of times, let's say we're drawing like a dumb character and I'll draw them with a little, little forehead implies no brain, that Neanderthal kind of look. And then I'll have a kid that draws it with a big forehead. And I'll say, that's a really cool character, but they feel smart to me. So it's not wrong, Like, but you have a giant forehead. Subliminally, I'm thinking that's like a brainiac. This is a character you've drawn, and can you control these things? Like now you've seen me draw it this way, you've drawn it that way. And even through mistakes, we're going to learn something that we're, we can communicate. Um, and then all the kids can learn from each other's. By accident, they can um, really discover the accidental and accidental discoveries that's what's cool a mistake can lead you to to discover something really cool yeah are you a, a people watcher uh, yes. yes yes back when i could watch people then yes <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah oh my gosh i love I used, especially like at the gym because you're just sitting there on your machine and you just be like all right that person's story like you know you're deciding especially like when you see couples together that's when it's really fun. You're like, all right, what's their deal? What's, you know, what, you know. How long have they been together? <laughs> yeah. And, oh, that one is way more attractive than that one. So <laughs> that one might be this or that. I don't know. It's just really interesting. I love to come up with that. And I've had characters come out of people I've just seen for a half hour on the street that like I got enthralled with. And I was like, all right, they're like this. They do this. And here's their little tick that they're doing. And, and I'll bring that back around. That all sticks with you. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say maybe if someone is a like strong people watcher, then illustrating people might be a good way to go. And I am actually not. And so I've always thought about maybe doing characters like this. And I'm like, maybe not. Because <laughs> I just am not a big people watcher. And I think that, yeah, just having an interest in people would probably be a good thing when you're drawing people. Yeah. But also creating characters from the perspective of a person who doesn't watch people or isn't as interested that could be interesting in and of itself. You may have a very unique take on people if you're not really paying attention like someone else. And we can all bring a different voice and something surprising. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll try it. <laughs> like, maybe you talk me back into it. Okay. Is there anything you don't like to create without? No, I feel like I'm pretty, I've had a pretty flexible time. I'm happy to sit there with a sketchbook on a, I think I just want to be comfortable. Good chair, comfortable, and then I can just do that forever. But no, if I'm just drawn with a mechanical pencil and a sketchbook, or if I'm painting at my painting desk, 
or if I've, I'm doing digitally on my tablet, if what I'm doing matches what the tools I'm using, then I'm happy. I've done it all. I'm just enjoying creating something. Yeah. I was looking for some, something, some new way to do it. Yeah. Do you start with a sketch or do you do mostly d- digital? What are you using the majority of the time? I mean, right now, most, like I said, most of what I'm doing is digital. And for a while, I was doing all my drawings by hand, scanning them and then coloring them digitally. And because I was using a the digital drawing thing, but it wasn't the screen. It was the one that you have like on your desk on the side. And so it was better for coloring, but not like drawing. Drawing was a little harder to get. Well, now that I'm on the big Cintiq and the screen, it's just become easier to do it that way. I prefer the drawings that are by hand, but I find now it's like, all right, for this use, we want to have it with a completely transparent background. We want to move it over here and plop it on top of that. And all those things get complicated when you've got your sketches and bringing them in digitally. And some of those things just make production harder. So I've definitely been moving more and more like, whether it's my sticker design or the books, just completely digital. And then uh, painting is just more of the art for art's sake kind of stuff. Yeah. How many hours do you spend creating per day? It's going down a little bit. With the exception of that, like I'm drawing the entire time I'm teaching the same thing each class and we're going over that. And so it's a little different, but I would say right now creating is going down a little bit. It used to, it was eight hour work day. And then a couple nights a week, it was a couple hours after the kids go to bed. And now that's probably cut in half for a while, but a lot of times at nighttime, that's kind of, I'm a night owl. I like to work at night. So good day. I'm doing maybe six hours of art in a day. And, but as you know, as you're building classes or other kinds of things, there's just a lot of admin work. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff that when you're an artist, you don't want to have anything to do with any of that. I'm not, I don't want to do any of that. And you can't grow if you don't do that. You, you have to jump on that stuff. Yeah, a lot of it is that right now because I'm building a couple different things that are new. And so they're in that early stage where a lot of what you're doing is the stuff no one sees or isn't interesting. But I'm hoping that I'm getting enough systems into place that now I can hopefully scale back from that and get more art time in or student time in or things like that. Yeah, busy. (laughs) So many different ways to, you know, make money as an artist or teaching and Mm -hmm. and storytelling and just all of that yeah yeah nice to have a couple different baskets and and it also just keeps it interesting so it's as long as your brain can handle the switching so it's it's nice to to maybe have them blocked out so that you're not like doing an hour of this then an hour of this then an hour of this and, and then your brain starts to melt but if you can find a way to schedule and block them out then yeah then you can handle it yeah do you take on commissions I do not a ton, mostly just because of time. But yeah, I do. I do take on commission sometimes. And so that's fun. That that's one of those things where that's another thing that pushes you, right? Because a lot of times somebody's asking for something that you would never have thought to do, or maybe have had no interest in doing. And then you do it. And there's a lot of techniques or skills or processes or things that I've learned from taking on commissions and i think it's i think it's a great opportunity to learn a lot of different things push yourself out of your comfort zone yeah i think you probably have this thing because you are almost completely commissions this is what somebody wants on their wall and you're like oh now i gotta learn how to draw this giant and it's gotta look awesome because it's 20 feet tall yeah yeah i'm mostly commission only and yeah a lot of the times people are like 
I would like this and this, and I would never think to do that. But actually, uh, for instance, tomorrow somebody messaged and they said that they wanted a to, me to paint a goat in clouds. So like to do like a cloud painting with a goat. And I'm like, okay, I I, I would have never thought that, but I'm mm-hmm. so for it. Where, where do you get most of your commission like requests, like from Instagram or? Yeah, Instagram. Someone will just DM me and say, oh, can you do this? And and so. I try to take them on. I like working with people, but it just depends on my schedule. So if I can make them work, I'm, I make them work a lot of times. I think I'll have an opening in a month or two. So if you can wait, and I'm always happy to, if they can't wait, then if I know certain artists that are in line with what they want, I'm always happy to try to move them to somebody else that I think could fit. I love that. Pass it around. Yeah. 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 You want everyone to do well. And sometimes someone will ask me to do commission and I'll say, I don't think I'm the best person for this. I think, and and that's hard too, because you also have to be careful. You're having somebody pay you to do something. And if it's really not what you feel confident doing, you don't want to be put in a position where you either have to keep fixing it. And all of a sudden you're losing money because you're spending all this time on something that was not in your, in your strength. And people can get angry and stuff. So I'm also very careful of a lot of times people will be be like, you're very talented. You could do this thing for me. And I'm just thinking like the, specifically what you need. I, I think I'm going to fall short in the end. Sometimes people don't understand certain just because you can do this doesn't mean you can do this. And yeah, maybe I could do it. But the amount of hours that it would take me to figure out this thing for you, that's not my forte would either mean I have to charge you something that's not worth it to you, or I have to take a, a big hit in my hourly wage. So you got, you got to find, that's hard. That's hard. It's a hard part of working with people and taking on commissions. Yeah. How do you price? Because yeah, I, I go, go through that battle all the time. Like I, I'll, I'll price a certain amount per hour. And then if it's taking me longer, I will like, I'll, I'll charge a, a a little bit less because to me like that's not really quite fair to the customer if i'm like taking three hours to, mm. to, to figure out something that maybe could have taken me an hour if i had painted it before ever how do you have yeah. your price i've pretty much on commissions been per project basically a system and and this is for if somebody wants like one image like this is a an image and it's basically a flat price i do a mock-up concept sketch i send it to them they send me feedback, whatever it is, and then I do a finished product for them. And if they want changes after that, now it's going to additional, you know, we can negotiate what those prices are. But I think it's really important to have really laid out guidelines of when is it done? Because a lot of people, it's just, oh, no, can you change this? Can you change this? Can you do this? They start to have these ideas that they didn't have at the beginning when they first brought it to you. So it's and then that can get weird. Then there can be either you're getting bitter or they're feeling like this artist isn't keeping up to their part of the deal. So I think it's really important to have very laid out guidelines of when it's done for what they've paid you. And then and then if they want to do have more fixes, then that's a, like almost a, a new commission, right? That's if you're paying by the project. If you're paying by the hour, then that's different. I don't do a ton of commissions. And so I have not done it by the hour and it might be better that way. I don't know. I don't know. Do you get a lot of maybe requests of people asking you to make them into a character? A few. It depends on 
what I'm doing right now. And right now, most of my art, like on my Instagram, has been animals, humor, and surreal animal art. And so I'm not getting as much of those right now. About a year or two ago, it's interesting that one thing can spawn other requests when they see. So I was getting some cartoon portraits commissions, and those had more coming. So that was a thing that I was doing probably in 2019, 20, a little bit. And then the more my stuff just became moved away from that, then I haven't, I don't get as many of that. Mostly I get now animal, some kind of animal art request, a lot of logos or things like that. And so yeah, if we, if I can make it work, I love to. Sometimes I'll do like a partnership deal with somebody or I'll give them a, if I like the image so much, like I'll give them a discount if I can make it as a sticker and sell it myself. And then I can at least make that money back in sales and maybe more. And then they get a discount because if it was just for a personal thing, they don't care, you know, if I'm making a little extra money off of it. If they're doing it like this is for a logo for their company, then that's not an appropriate thing to do. But, you know, you find it out. You can find ways to, to make things worth your while and worth their while. Awesome. <laughs> so I basically have one more question for you. That'll be our, our final question. And do you, but do you have any other illustration tips that you want to give off really quick? I, we've gone through a lot. So yeah, I, I guess I would say I grew the most in college when I w was forced to do art styles that I didn't like. So when I was forced to copy just make replicas of renaissance painters or their what was a leonardo sketchbook kind of style or certain kind using certain kinds of paints things like that like every time a class came up and i was so annoyed that i was going to have to learn something half the time that ended up being my favorite thing <laughs> half the time i or the other time, I would just take a part of what I learned. There was some nugget that I was able to incorporate to build my own style. And so I would say, really push yourself out there. If you're young and in your finding yourself, if you're 18, if you're 20, 25, and you think you have it all figured out, then you're going to be stuck. <clears throat> you, you're going you're gonna to have boring artwork eventually. You really need to, to push yourself and get yourself uncomfortable. And yeah, that's, I really try to get everybody to try that. And it's amazing what you discover. And it's okay if in the end, I'm not saying you're going to love everything that you do, but you need to have a well-rounded education, whether it's an education at a school or just your own doing the YouTube tutorials and things like that. But you want to be flexible. You want to be able to hop around to the things that become available to you. It's amazing how many things are available to you when you can be like, oh yeah, I can do that. Like how many things in the past did, Somebody brought up and I'm like, that's not what I can do. And then all of a sudden, oh, someone needs a thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I can do that. Success is where luck and preparation meet. You need to be prepared for those moments. And so you need to have, get it well-rounded so that you don't just look like a copy of your favorite artists or, you know, things like that. So that's a really thing, a really big thing I, I like to encourage everyone to do. Great. Yeah. And so on, on the topic of artists that are just starting out, there are a lot of artists who are the very beginning of their art careers. What advice would you give to maybe even yourself whenever you were first starting? Like, What would be one of the first things you would do to get started? I would say make friends. Don't be a loner and don't be a kind of person who's wanting to burn bridges. But you see a lot of people, especially when they're young, they're doing well. They're maybe like they were our head of the class and they burn bridges, but there's a point where everyone catches up. And now all of a sudden that's the person that people aren't recommending. 
Like they might be great for a job, but they're not going to recommend, you know, that jerk get a job. I've hired a lot of people for projects like on Mutasia when we were working on a website of the animation and we had some chapter books that needed to be illustrated and I couldn't. We we reach I reach out to artists that I know are good people that are good to work with. So that's really important. Make a lot of friends that are doing different things than you. If for me to know musicians that I can collaborate with or writers or actors who can do voiceover or a lot of things like that, like collaboration is such a great way to push yourself into other realms. And it's so great to work with people who are doing something different than you. And so I think I really would push young people to, and a lot of us artists are not comfortable with people a lot of times. A lot of us are most comfortable if we're alone, under the desk lamp, drawn. Maybe you've got Netflix on in the background or something like that. But art is about communicating who you are to others. And if you aren't communicating with other people in real life, then how are you going to know how people react to things? How are you going to know how they react to you're drawing this way or that what are people drawn to what are people afraid of what are people bothered by all those things important people time i would say is a real big push for artists i think that's you got to get out of your comfort zone there yeah i i totally agree with the whole getting out and meeting people there's so many opportunities that i've gotten that i could have never applied for that i just knew because people knew me and also opportunities i've given people just because we've met before yeah, it is. It's so true. Like meeting people is just it's good for the soul, but it's also good for your mm-hmm. art career. <laughs> yeah, I'll say another thing. And, and maybe this works. Maybe this doesn't. But I feel like social media, Facebook, Instagram has created a new weird thing where you're trying to sell your product or your services. But it's to all the people that there's like a weird line that's being crossed. And I'm, I don't like sales. I don't feel comfortable. And one of the things I did was when I created my art Instagram account is I didn't tell anybody I knew about it. And it wasn't like I was embarrassed, but I wanted to be able to say, here, buy this. And I didn't want people in my life to think I was like trying to make a buck off of them or push them. And so I found that I was so much more comfortable pushing my product in a sales way to strangers. And I I came out of my bubble in that way. And I felt the confidence to say, hey, there's a thing I'm selling. You want it? You want... But it's weird. It can be weird when it's to people. And I know that there's a lot of people that also become, they have emotional issue if the people they know aren't supporting them financially with their art. And But that person, does, nobody owes you to to support your artwork. But somebody could think that, well, this person, I know that they spent money on that thing. Why didn't they spend money on this? Blah, blah, blah. But if Joe Blow out there that you don't know likes your piece of art but doesn't buy it, you don't hold it against them, right? Because, yeah, I don't know their story. I don't know what they spend their money on or what they hang up in their house or what they buy for their kids. I, I think if you might be the kind of person who, uh, luckily for me, you know, selling my art was not, I wasn't doing my side art in a way that I was hoping that was going to put food on the table or anything. So it was a hobby that I could put out. But I definitely think you need to be careful assuming that all your work is going to come from your circles. And I say get out there because also your people in your life are going to compliment you because they want you to feel good because they love you. And you might be making art that isn't sellable. Like it's not, but you got a lot of, why did everyone love this, but nobody bought it? But if you put it out to all these strangers, none of them are going to be like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to push like 
so that you feel good. They don't have that. So now you're like, oh, that, that didn't go over. Nobody loved that one. Or sometimes I'll hold off on a piece of art posting it for a long time because I'm like, this is just, no one's going to like this. But I don't have anything to post today. I'll post it. And then a bunch of strangers will really love it more than the thing I love. That to me is a legitimate, that's a legitimate feedback. Nobody is obligated to give me that feedback. But family can be, friends can be. So I would say to artists, consider doing something without any baggage of trying to put it out to the people that you try it. See see if you're more comfortable making sales. I mean, again, if you don't care that nobody buys your stuff, then maybe not. But I think I... I think it gets I think it gets fishy putting too much of your stuff on your own personal stuff or at least your sales. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like I feel like someone really has to be like, "Oh, wow, I love that so much in order to buy it." Because a lot mm-hmm. of people will like it and and they do like your stuff. It's cool, but you really have to wow someone for them to like really yeah. give their credit card. Exactly, exactly. Because in every other industry, they're not mixing it with their social life. There's, they're not the guy that's an engineer or the doctor. They're not posting their stuff on Instagram, hoping that they're going to get a client, but artists do that. And I think that's where you've got to really think smartly about what you're doing professional, or is it just a hobby? If it's a hobby, then who cares? But if this is where you're going to put your, like I said, the food on your table, don't put that on the people. Don't assume that, well, because they love me, they need to be spending money on this or that. And then if they don't, you have some issue with them or something. So yeah, you got to, I think you got to think about that. Yeah, so true. Yeah, it, it is a weird thing because a lot of people will see me posting online all the time. Man, you post all the time. I'm like, it's my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't post a lot of friends and family stuff. It's mostly art here, here. Look yeah. at it, buy it, share it. And they're like, oh yeah, I guess it is your job because nobody else really sees it in that light. They think of it, yeah. oh, this is social, it's fun. And, but for us, it's a job most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think keeping them separate, your business and personal, because in all the other industries, they do that. It works. That's what I would tell young artists is don't have a blended one. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here and chatting with us. You're so talkative and I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) Usually that's a problem. Nope. Nope. This is perfect. You've given so many uh, illustration tips. And so if anybody's listening that would love to get to or get to learn a little bit more about the illustration and facial features and all the stuff that Ryan was talking about. Go, how can they find uh, you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so Ryan teaches art.com. Oh, perfect. So very easy. Simple. Ryan teaches art.com March. I'm opening up brand new level one classes. I have a, a class at 2 PM Pacific time on Thursdays. And that is for grades one through four. And 3 p.m. Pacific time on Thursdays is for grades uh, five through eight. So if anyone wants to go, they can go on and register and pick each month is a different theme. They can pick the themes that they prefer or do all of them. And it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It sounds like it. I think you have one of the best jobs ever. You, you, this is such, such a fun product too. You guys should. It go, really is. <laughs> yeah. Go go it check really out his is. characters on his Instagram, Mutasia, and then. Ryan, what, what's your other Instagram? Uh, so Ryan MCC underscore art, the Ryan Mick art on Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you again. I hope you have a really good Hey, great thanks day. so much, Andrea. <laughs> it was really great talking with you. You too. We'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. Bye. This episode is sponsored by the Mural Master Program inside of the Artist Academy Advanced Membership. This program is specifically designed to help you with every step of the mural 
process. From coming up with an idea, to finding a wall to paint it on, to pitching your ideas to businesses, and finally, of course, I teach you exactly how to paint large scale. Murals are a lot of fun and a great way to grow your art business. I know because it has been one of the top ways that I've been able to grow my own art business as quickly as I have. With several years of experience as a muralist, I've dialed down the painting techniques, the proposals, the pitching, the whole bit. And now I've compiled it into one resource for you called the Mural Master Program. This is included inside of the Artist Academy Advanced Membership, and I would love to invite you to join us by going to artistacademy.co, that is artistacademy.co, and click the link to see the Mural Master Program and learn more. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you review our podcast and send a screenshot of that review to me on Instagram, I am art by Andrea Earhart. I will gladly share your art on my Instagram story with a reach of over 60,000 as a thank you for helping us grow this Artist Academy community. And speaking of community, if you would like to be a part of our absolutely free and very encouraging community on social media, just head over to facebook.com slash groups slash Artist Academy, and I will see you next week.